Well, do me a favor and uh, open your Bible up uh, to Colossians chapter 3. If you need a Bible and you want a Bible, raise your hand and Xander will get you one. If you need a Bible, you're going to want to follow along in Colossians chapter 3. And everybody good with that? You all set? Well, let me pray before we begin, and um, then we'll go, go for it. Well, Lord, thank you so much uh, for this morning and uh, for uh, your pure and holy word that we get to search and think on and meditate on and ingest. And then, Lord, you do it through a miracle. By your spirit, you knit these things to our hearts. And, Lord, when we lay down our will and choose to do these things, you give us the resource and strength to actually carry them out. And, boy, are we going to need that for this. We need you always in Jesus' name. And everybody says? Amen. Well, let me open. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 3, but I'm going to read you something that Paul wrote to Timothy, his mentee, his mentor mentee. Paul wrote to Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He, read, he, he wrote this, the Lord knows those who are his. Isn't that comforting? You're known by God. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ, you don't have to raise your hand, but raise your hand in your heart. If you name the name of Christ, do you know what that means? It doesn't mean lucky rabbit's foot. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask for what I want in Jesus' name so I can get it. You actually pray and think and move and live in the nature of Jesus Christ. That's what name is. Name is the nature. You know about his attributes and characteristics and you uh, uh, set your heart and your whole life on all that he is. And so when it says here, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. What's iniquity mean? Sin. To live all that God has for you and soaring in the heights of heaven. And by the way, the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're already seated in heaven. You're seated in the heavenly places. Positionally, it's as if you're already in heaven. You are already in heaven positionally. You have eternal life. Not when you die, you have it now. <laughs> you have all the blessings, all the resources of those who are seated in heaven. And it says, let everyone who names the name of Christ do this, depart from iniquity, get, weight, get rid of the weight of sin, the weightiness of sin, the thing that's holding you back. Get, let go of it, Hebrews tells you. Get, get rid of that. Like, if you're running, unless you're a real tough guy like some of us here, you don't put on a heavy weight or pack, some of us do, to get training. But when you run in the race, you take off the heavy weight or the pack. You wear, wear light clothes. You want to move as fast as you can and as nimble as you can. That's what Christ is saying here. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Sin no more. Look, what, listen to this. Is this beautiful or what? But in a group, oh, excuse me, sorry. I had to flip. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, I turned two pages. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, here it comes. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel, listen to this, your life vessel will be a vessel for honor, 
Who wants to be a vessel for dishonor to the Lord? Oh, well, it says, if anyone cleanses himself, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified. That just means set apart, and listen to this, and useful for the master. Whoa. Uh, In the King James Version, it says, fit for the master's use. Isn't that beautiful? Prepared for every good work. If, If this is so, then flee youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord. Did you notice that? You live it out in community. Did you notice that? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord. Many in here call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Oh, man, do I want to say something right there. I won't. Knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. And it goes on. Gentle to all, including people who don't think like you think. And especially people who don't think like you think. Now, with that as a backdrop, we're going to go over to Colossians 3. And you won't understand Colossians 3 unless you know that, these, or that Paul is fighting something in the little insignificant church in Turkey Minor. It's insignificant in the eyes of the world, but it's not insignificant to the Lord. Little church, Paul cared about. He loved and he sent this beautiful letter with this beautiful uh, exposition of the nature of Christ, the preeminence of Christ. That's chapter one. And then in chapter two, he tells us about the false theologies that come in that he's combating. And one major one is Gnosticism. Gnostic means knowledge. It's this thought, this mystical uh, uh, idea about Christ and who he was that existed at the time of Christ, but also exists now, about how only a select few could actually attain spiritual maturity. Because you're in the know, Gnostics. And it had these weird ideas of these emanating angels that descended in descending order. Some were good that came from God. And the closer that they got to the earth... Because earth is matter, and matter was evil to the Gnostics, and spirit was good to the Gnostics. That's not the belief of Christianity. You're going to actually have a glorified, resurrected body. You're going to live in a body forever with the Lord if you're in Christ. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit even now. So we have a very different view than the Gnostics would or did. But these emanations that you could you know, attain to, you could try to mediate uh, or have them mediate for you to get to God. And the ones that were closer to the earth, like Jesus, weren't as good because they touched matter, the world. They were spotted by the world. And here comes Paul with this letter and just blows it out of the water. And we talked about it at length in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, what happens, like Paul always does, is he's given you doctrine, the thing that's right and true about Christ, and he says now, like he always does, just go to Romans, 1 through 11, doctrine. The end of Romans, how we should live 
as called born-again Christians in light of the doctrine, he does the same thing here. Chapter 3 now is a shift, and chapter 3 and chapter 4 are going to be doctrine. Doctrine! Or excuse me, doctrine that's put into practice, sorry. Doctrine that's put into practice, and here it comes. But before he does that, he just tells you certain truths. Here they are. Ready? Here they are. If, i got to stop on if. Can you believe I'm going to preach on if? That word would better be translated or could be translated since. In other words, he's saying what was true of already has I've already talked about in this letter. Now, in light of that, here's what I want you to pay attention to. If is not that hope word, like if this is true. No, since this is true. That's important. Since or if, then you were raised with Christ. (laughs) There's the Christian life right there in one little peewee little sentence. The Bible tells us, you could see it right back there in chapter 2, verse 11 in the doctrine, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. You put off the body of sins of the flesh. See, baptism is a picture of some spiritual transaction that has already taken place to a person who surrendered their life to God. If you've surrendered your life to God, this is true of you about what I'm about ready to read. If you have not surrendered your life to God, this isn't true of you yet. I just got to be frank with you. The Bible says you just don't come to church and these things happen. No, you, you surrender your life to Christ. You call upon his name. You confess Jesus as the Christ, and you live it out in your life. He says, if you've done that, and here's one great litmus test to, whether or no, to, to know whether or not you have surrendered your life to Christ. It's just so easy. Well, are you going to heaven? If you're... Are you going to heaven? And if you say in your life, um, I don't know. I've done more good than I've done bad. I'm not as bad as Stalin or some of those other terrible characters. And Okay, then you don't know. But Bible tells us in 1 John, you can know that you have eternal life. If the Son has you and you have the Son, if you're trusting in the Son, Jesus Christ, For the penalty that was coming towards you, the payment of your sins, you can know that you have eternal life and that you can have it abundantly. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And so for the Christian who knows that they're going to heaven, and, and, you know, it's not some, like, spiritually superior thing you say. You go, hey, man, I'm going to heaven, and you're not. (laughs) You'd never say that because you did nothing to earn this. Jesus did it all. For them... Wow, this then is true. You've put off the body of the sins of the flesh. Chapter 2, verse 11. By the circumcision of Christ, he's cut out everything that's opposed to him in your old nature. You've been buried with him in baptism, verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And we said this. Isn't this the most beautiful thing ever? I mean, this is so astounding. All that's happened to him when you surrender your life to Christ and he comes into into your life has happened for you. Your old life, your sin life, your fleshly life, your old nature, your sin nature has died. It's been cut away. It's been buried. But you have been raised 
to new life. That's Christianity. That's the whole thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you've become a new creation, but don't forget the rest of that verse. The old things have passed away. New has come. You have new life in Christ. And that's what we talked about last time. So now Paul is just reiterating to the, the, those in Colossae, to this little insignificant church that's not insignificant to him, if then you were raised with Christ. And the point is, you were raised with Christ. Isn't that great? You have new life. It's not uh, Tim was improved. That's not what's happening here spiritually. When you become a Christian, your life doesn't improve. You get new life. You understand it? You get resurrected life. You get the very life of Christ himself. Amen. That's right. So if you were raised with Christ, watch what he says to do. Here comes the duty. See, Christians in the American world love, well, tell me what to do. (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) I need to know what to do. Well, here he says, seek those things which are above. And the word there in the Greek is not like, yeah, you know, on February 18th, I think that's when I gave my life to the Lord, by the way, February 18th, which is my daughter's birthday, 1987. It's not like you seek those things which are above on February 18th, 1987. You, you give your life then, and then you stop seeking. This word is you keep on seeking. You get it? By the way, it's tied with verse 2. You seek those things which are above. If you've been raised with Christ and you have new life, Paul's saying, there's something that you should be doing day by day, minute by minute, seeking those things which are above. And then look in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not, on, not things on the earth. Now let's talk about that. <clears throat> What's above? Well, that's the realm of God. It's the heavenlies. So the number one thing that you should be seeking, I should be seeking in my life, and setting my heart, my, thing, or my mind upon, what is that that I should be seeking? It's the sovereignty. Are you getting it? He's sovereign over his kingdom. What's the number one thing I should be seeking? His sovereignty. Him, God himself. You know, when I first became a Christian, I just wanted you to give me a list of things to do. Come on, give me the list. And I'll go out this afternoon, and I'm going to live these things. The problem was I didn't realize, excuse me, that I was seeking after a person. And so I was just doing like a Susie Orman, Tony Robbins, little self-help thing. But the problem was I had no resource and strength to live out the rules that I thought were rules. So I'd get out there by Sunday night, and it would be, you know, all she wrote. And it would be really discouraging See, what Paul's describing is something way different. He's saying you do have a responsibility to seek and set your mind on things above. But what you're seeking and setting them on is the person and work of God himself through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. How many gods we believe in? One. How many persons in the Trinity? Three. So how many gods we believe in? One. One God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Good? You can hear me? So, you, you, you set your mind on things above. You seek those things. You set your mind. So, you have this mindset of your life, your day. 
where you're thinking about the things above. And the things above are mostly the sovereignty of Christ, the sovereignty, God himself. Ephesians tells us Jesus is our peace. It's not a program, if I do this, 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 and this. It's a relation with God through Christ that brings you peace. You get it? So set your mind on things above. It starts with the sovereignty of God, but Philippians tells us, you know, keep your mind on the things that are noble and true and lovely and right. What are the things that are noble and true? It's the things of God. Remember this, um, the, the, the kingdom of God, you know, you think, well, oh, should I be seeking after, like, looking for his throne? Or the, you, no, the Bible tells us the kingdom of God is things like this, righteousness, love, peace. That's the kingdom of God. And thinking on real love, real joy, real peace, God's eternal love, joy, and peace. What's his program that he's given you as you set and seek, you seek and set? He's given you a program to be the salt of the earth, a preservative, one that is salty, that wants to be satisfied through thirst. Get it? So, so set your mind on things above. Lord, I'm so grateful for how sovereign you are and you've loved me. Help me as you've asked me to be the salt of the earth. That's seeking and setting your mind on things above. Oh, Lord, you've asked me to be a city on a hill. That is a place in my neighborhood where people can see the light of Christ. Help me to do that, Lord. You see, you're seeking and setting your thing, uh, uh, mind on things above. You say, well, wait a minute. I got to go to work. Yes, but the Bible says whatever you do, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Your work is worship. Your work is worship. Are you catching this? We should be the most responsible, best employees at our work, wherever God has called you to be, because it's worship is under the Lord. Whether your boss approves or doesn't approve, or he's nice or he's not nice, she's nice, she's not nice, it doesn't matter. We should be, because we're worshiping the Lord with our work. You see, here's why I'm telling you this. If you're not seeking the things above and setting your mind on things above, you can lose yourself very easy. How come she got the bonus and I didn't? Why do they get to go lunch with the boss and I don't? How come the pastor asked me to do this and didn't? See, when you become upset about stuff like that, you know you've lost your way. Because you're thinking of things of the earth. I'm thinking of things of the earth when I feel that bitterness or slight or whatever it is. In other words, the Bible tells us that we are to be responsible in the things of life, like money. We're to be responsible. We're to be good stewards. We're to, it's nothing wrong with working to you know, pay your bills and be a responsible citizen. You're supposed to do that. But if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, and you know when you do, the Bible says, actually, it's become an idol in your heart. You'll see that here in a minute. So I would ask you, what is it in your life... Is there anything in your life that is of the world that God has asked you to use, like money, like bank accounts, like IRAs, like cars, like houses, like all this, that you couldn't give up? If you can give it up, I don't, hey, I love this thing and it's great and all that, but I give it back. I could turn it back in or, hey, I could give this. If you can't give it up, folks, guess what it's become? It's become an idol. But if you're using it for the God's glory, whatever it is, uh, houses, cars, whatever, it's fine. You say, 
keep seeking the things above, joy, peace, Christ himself, God and his sovereignty, and set your mind on that. But don't set your mind on the things of the earth. There's earthly things that don't just matter. I just can't believe, oh well. Uh, movies, movies, let's talk about that. Or, or entertainment, or golf, or, and I love to golf. Nobody in here, although two guys in here might love it more than me, but I love golf. Can I give that up? I mean, he, God's not calling me to give it up, but what happens if I can't play golf? What happens if I uh, can't watch movies the rest of my life? Would, would I be, I mean, you, we got some people, Christians themselves, they go on a movie-watching binge for years, and they, it's taking up all their lives. And you say, well, my goodness, are we setting our minds and seeking those things which are above? Nothing wrong with watching a movie. No one's saying that. And seek those things which are above. And then he throws this thing in that most people don't quote in this verse, but it's really powerful. Where Christ is, thinks, seek the things where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying, seek the power of God. You catch that? Because the authoritative position is at the right hand of the Father, or in the ancient world was at the right hand. Sorry, lefties. <laughs> That's just the thing that they would say and think about. What he's saying here is, think about how powerful God is and how he can work himself out in your life if you'll trust and depend upon the Lord. Think on those things. Don't, don't, don't lose sleep over your circumstances. Circumstances are rough sometimes. Leave it in the hands of the powerful God that you serve and love and who loves you. Did you catch that? Oh, my goodness. So set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And then he just reminds you again, you were raised with Christ. But remember, you died with Christ. Uh, uh, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reality is your old life, everything that was set up against God and his kingdom, sin, and your attitudes of worldly lusts, whatever that is, those have all died with Christ. That's what's happened for you as you've become a Christian. So the first thing that's happened for you, look at this. Paul reminds the Colossian church. He reminds us, you were raised with Christ. You died with Christ, your old nature. But come on, folks, we should be jumping up and down over the next one. Your life is hidden in Christ. Oh, my. You're tucked away. You're tucked away. Remember when you were a kid? <laughs> And, you know, your, your, your mom or your dad, whoever was comforting to you or your whatever, your grandma or your grandpa. Remember when you were a little kid and you just sidled up <laughs> right next to them? Maybe you were at a baseball game or you were at a movie. No, movies, but I'm kidding. Uh, you were at a movie or you were, you know, at the family dinner or something and that there was that person that you felt safe with, you loved, and you knew they loved you. What would you do? You'd, you'd settle right in there. Your life is hidden with Christ. You're hidden in, Christ, in Christ's life. Isn't that beautiful? And so I want you to see how intimate this relationship is. Christ in me, me in Christ. There's another truth about you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, catch this, who also is our life. <laughs> Did you get that? 
Christ is our life. Now you say, you know what some people say? Ready for this? I used to say it. Football is life. No kidding. I did say that. I used to say, you read it on shirts. Football is life. Gymnastics is life. Reading is life. And I love to read. Whatever. I don't know. Working is life. 401k is life. Relationships, life. I don't know what it is. You could say a million things here. Here, the, the, Paul tells us that Jesus is our life. Think about what a life is. It's where you derive resource and sustenance to actually go on and live. That's one. It's you identify with it so much, whatever the thing is. I used to be football. Hopefully, it's now Christ. You identify with Christ so much, you can say that he's your life. That's what this is. This isn't some Tony Robbins program. This is life. So, Paul says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you need, might need to unpack that a little bit. And we've done it a million times here. We believe we live in the church age right now. The church age is going to end, we believe, when Christ comes back for his church in the rapture. While the, um, the body of Christ is in heaven, Revelation 6 through 19 tells us that God's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, and he's going to deal with Israel. And at the end of that time, you could look this up after today, in Revelation 19, it also says in Jude, in Jude it says that God's going to come back at the end of the tribulation period with his 10,000 of his saints. That's a way of saying all of us. Or in Revelation, I think it's 1914, it actually says Christ is going to come back. He's going to be on his horse riding in here. He's going to come back and we're going to be with him. The saints are going to be with him. That's what this means. Oh, by the way, you say, oh, that's future glory. I'm going to be glorified. My body is going to be glorified. If you looked at the end of Romans chapter 8, it says you've been glorified now. Your position is you're glorified now. You're going to reap the benefit of being glorified when you come back with your glorified, resurrected body. Amazing. That's what this is talking about. So Paul kind of just did it again real quick. He went, okay, doctrine three, one through four. I'm still writing the letter to Colossae. I'm still going to give you some doctrine because you can't get enough of doctrine. If you think rightly about who Christ is, it'll come out of your life in right behavior. Everybody wants to know, how do I behave? Well, here it comes, therefore, put to death. And you should know that there's a therefore. That means that is everything that's come before impacts what I'm about to tell you, Paul says. He says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you're to mortify or crucify that fleshly nature which are on the earth. Remember, I read you the Timothy passage. It says you're going to be fit for the master's use, but you need to flee youthful lust, mortify the flesh, those things that set yourself up against God. Come on, folks, let's be honest here for a minute. If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you feel this tug. You, you feel this tug. You, I'm gonna, you, you know what I hate that my wife watches? Not because I hate what she watches, because it impacts me. I'll I just be honest with you. 
You know what I hate? I hate when she watched home makeover shows. You know why I hate home makeover shows? You, you think it's because I don't like the show because it has to do with home makeover. Here's why it is, because I can't fix anything. So the whole time I'm watching a home makeover show, I'm like completely lusting and feeling bad over the fact that I wish I had that house and I don't have my house. Every time it comes on, I just have to put my head down and walk the other way. You, you know why? It brings up an earthly lust in me. Of course, nothing wrong with being a good worker. Uh, I'm not saying that. But I get into those realms. You, you know what I hate to do? I hate to drive through Neville Wood. It, it sets me back in my life, pre-Christ, when that's what I lived for. And I start to go, oh, my gosh, how come I haven't advanced that far? And then I think to myself, what am I talking about? So I'm giving you one example. Maybe it's something different in your life that puts you back. So I stay out of Nevillewood, but they don't let me in there anyway. <laughs> but, but you get the point? I knew that I had to put to death that part of me which was influenced in an inappropriate, fleshly, earthly way. Anything wrong with having a house? No, I'm not saying that. But see, I can idolize the house. So he says, put to death all of those things which are on the earth. And in this case, he first tells you that there's something really serious in the, uh, the uh, society that's really going to take you to a place that deals or uh, uh, feeds the old nature and its sensuality. Now, let's take a time out here for a minute. We just did the Song of Solomon here on Sunday. Is there anything wrong with having sexual desire? The answer is no. The Bible tells us within the marriage relationship, that's healthy and good and beautiful, and that's where it should be practiced and stay. It's beautiful. But what he's talking about here, and he starts it off, is put those things together which lead you to fornication. What's fornication mean? Now, now first of all, do you know how unpopular this message is in Colossae and now? You got people in the church, in the church, folks, when people live together before marriage saying, what's the big deal? Well, the Bible says that any sex outside of marriage, that's fornication, is inappropriate because, you see, sex in marriage is designed for that, just that, marriage. And marriage, don't listen to me, just go to Ephesians 5, marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And when you do these sorts of things, not only does it harm you psychologically, physically, and emotionally and spiritually, but you've marred the picture of the gospel. Ooh. You say, well, hey, I've, that's happened for me. I guess I need to leave. No, 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 no. You don't need to leave because the Bible says he'll forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and begin us on a path of Christ-likeness. So we all make sin mistakes, but God is merciful and just. It's not that you made that mistake. It's now, are you repentant about it? Okay, so fornication, uncleanness, and these are all words that he have to do with this sensuality, like uncleanness, lustful impurity. It's in your speech and uh, your, your deeds, and uh, they lead to a filthy heart or a filthy mind. How about the next thing was uh, passion? See, it's okay to have passion just in the right place. 
Passion, though, is that state of mind that, elicit, that, that brings about sexual impurity. That's why it's so dangerous for men. I, I don't know about ladies. I'm not being sexist. I just don't know because I'm not a lady. It's so dangerous for men to watch, view images of even non-pornographic things because it elicits passionate stuff that's inappropriate in their mind. You know, when, something I really enjoyed as a kid. Anybody else here? Oh, man, I love this. I can still see them in my mind. I had them for years. Every Thursday, I ran home from school. Every single Thursday. I knew it was going to be there in the mail. I loved it. I'd sit on the couch as soon as I can. I'd read it that day. It'd be over for the whole week. Sports Illustrated. Loved it. And then I got married. And it was coming about the time that the swimsuit issue comes out. And I thought, huh. I don't know about this. I don't know how she's going to react. The swim shoot issue is coming. I know it's coming. I've lived it for 15, 20 years, right? See, for a man, the swim shoot issue isn't innocuous. I don't know about girls. I've never been a girl. So I had to cancel Sports Illustrated. And so do some of us here. What he's saying is don't let that passion, that uncleanness, lead to an evil desire, and then look, he adds in covetousness. Why? Because those things lead to covetous, having something or someone you're not supposed to have. You get it? Okay, that's what he's saying to put off or put to death. Those members, those things, those things in your life, those attitudes, those thoughts, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In fact, in, in Ephesians... It tells us that when we are outside of Christ, we are sons of wrath or sons of disobedience. And the wrath of God, the punishment of God is coming upon those. And because that's so significant, when you become a Christian, you don't want to even dabble in any of that stuff. Put that away. In which you once yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves, what are we to do? Ready? We love what to do. And here he brings about the image of clothes. See, in the ancient world, what the, all of them worked in an agrarian society, so they were out in the fields doing stuff, most of them. Jesus didn't, but, I mean, he was a builder. Wood and rock and all that sort of thing. And what would happen at the end of the day? Your clothes would get what? Really, really, really dirty. And so here's a picture of putting off old clothes and putting on fresh clothes. It's even a picture of what you did in baptism at this time. You walked in with your normal clothes, but what did they do? They put you in white robes. So it's that sort of picture, but it represents a spiritual truth. And that is this, you yourselves are to put off all of these. Oh, wait a minute. Now, you yourselves are to also put off all these. Put to death these things, these sexual things. But lest you think it's an outward sin, remember, I was talking to somebody today who said when they became a Christian, they didn't anticipate the stuff that was going on in there. Whoa, I can maybe stop, you know, not watching that, going there, doing this. But the stuff that was inside, how do we handle that? Here Paul tells us, you yourselves are to put off all of these. Now, we know this, don't we? God is sovereign. The Bible tells us, we'll get to it in a minute, that he chose you before the foundation of the world. 
And yet, in God's sovereignty, he allows us to be free moral agents. And here's one place you encounter that. He says, you yourselves are to put off all of these. I believe we're made up of three things. Ready? Body, soul, and spirit. Here's your body. Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. Your mind and emotions are sort of easy to give over to the Lord. Hey, I'll read the Bible. I'll fill up my mind with the truths of the Lord. My emotions, man, when I don't feel uh, good, I'll give them to the Lord. You know, help me feel great. But here's the one I feel like we always struggle with in the Christian world. You tell me. It's our will. Like, for instance, I'll give you a little example of this. Jesus told us that we are not only to love the people who love us, but we are to love our enemies. And you say, well, that chafes a little bit. But then he says something else. He says, not only love them, I want you to bless them. I want you to be actively loving towards those who hate you. Hmm. You get people coming into the counseling office and they say, oh, my goodness, you know, this person did this to me and uh, what should I do? You say, well, you know, I'm no rocket scientist here, but the Bible tells us that for those who you have problems with, you're to go talk to them about it and make it right between you. As much as it's up to you, make it right. And almost 99% of the time, this comes out of the person's mouth. I can't. And the issue is not that they can't. The issue is they won't, which means they haven't laid down their will. Here, Paul says, you yourselves are to take off all of these things. I want you to take off that anger, that thing that is moving in and through you that causes you unrighteous anger. Now, there's a righteous anger that's good, but he means unrighteous anger. It's just inside of you boiling. And then the wrath, I want you to put that off, that thing that makes you erupt, that leads to a temper, that acts upon the anger. Get rid of that. I want you to put it off. This malice... If you think of malice, malice is always forethinking about how you could get somebody. Get rid of all of that. You say, I don't do that. I don't know. Blasphemy, talking poorly about people, especially when they're not around you. Come on, folks. That's our national pastime. It's not baseball or football. It's talking about people. And he says, don't do it. I want you to put it off, the old man, and have Put on the new man. You see, you come on that. Here it comes. Watch this. You need to know this Greek. Who is renewed in knowledge. So you put on the old man. Put on the, or excuse me, put on the new man. That phrase there is a once for all doing. You've put it on, but then you're renewed in knowledge. That's a keep being renewed. Don't fade out here. I got a point. I promise I got a point. You become a new man in Christ or a new woman in Christ once for all. Bible says positionally you're righteous in God's eyes, but as I read you from the Timothy passage, you're still being sanctified to be fit for the master's use. Hebrews tells us to pursue holiness even though we already have righteousness. To pursue holiness, why? Because you're being transformed into the image of his son. So you are a new man positionally or a new woman positionally, but you're constantly being renewed. And check out how you get renewed in knowledge. Now, remember, folks, 
He's fighting legalism from the Jews, mysticism, and Gnosticism. And what does Gnostic, Gnosticism mean or Gnostics means? Knowledge. It's like he's just punching right at it. He says, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. In other words, this is so wonderful. There's not some select group of people like the pastor and the elders. Oh, man, we know more than you. It's saying the fullness of every Christian is Christ himself, and you will be able to renew yourself in Christ in the knowledge of him. You, there's no special sect of Christians. Craziness. So you do that. How do you renew your mind? You read the word. You get the knowledge, but not for knowledge's sake. James, the half-brother of Christ, said, if you're just hearing the word but not doing the word, you're fooling yourselves. In fact, we read this morning in Foundations of the Faith, faith one way that you purify yourself is you act on the truth, not read the truth. You act on the truth. You obey the truth. You could come in here and fill yourself up with all of this stuff, but not put your will down and do what the Lord is asking you to do, like put off anger and put on kindness and be all for naught. Now, he can still use it, but you get the point. We're to be doers of the word. We're renewing ourselves constantly into the image of him who created him. You're going in Christ-likeness towards Christ's character. One of the things that all of this does, I love it. I love it. I was reminded of this uh, Friday afternoon. I was walking to my car. There's this uh, little old lady who drives a tram who I used to park in the jail and take the tram to my work. And I'd, we, her and I would all often, she'd have questions about the Bible. She learned I was a pastor. And, and so, so I would just get like, I don't know, three-minute snippets to talk to her. We became friends. I haven't seen her in two years. Oh, she's, by the way, of a different race. I'm of a different race than she is. She, she probably, uh, anyway, we're from different uh, places in life, okay? But there's a connection there. And the other day, I was just walking home or walking back to my car, I chose to walk and stay, take the tram. Good idea when you get to be 54. You need the exercise. And so I'm walking there, and here comes the tram, and I see hands going like this. And she stopped the tram with some people in there, and we just sat there. I felt bad for the people, and we just sat there and talked. We hadn't seen each other in two years. Listen, there was a connection there would never be a connection, I guarantee it, in my former life if it wasn't for the life of Christ. Here, what Paul says is, when this becomes a reality in your life, all the barriers of society are broken. It doesn't matter whether you live there or there. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, black or white, whatever color, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're neither Greek nor Jew. See, that would be mind-blowing to the people who were reading this. They were a little Greek church, Greek, you know, Gentile church, non-Jewish church. And they weren't Greek. They were Turkish. But anyway, they were non-Jewish church, and they weren't, quote-unquote, the chosen people. And Paul says, 
in the gospel, when it comes into your life, you could be Greek or Jew, and you'd just get together and be brothers and sisters. You could be circumcised, and that would be fine. You'd be in the, in not circumcised. No big deal. Religion things don't even matter. Or you could be uncultured, a barbarian, or you could be a wine-sipping, uh, Lake Chautauqua-going Richie. It doesn't matter in Christ. How about this one? Slave nor free. The very people who are over them in the society, the free people, are no different than the slaves. Every single barrier is broken in Jesus Christ. But Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, you're elect, you're chosen. We talked about that. You're also holy in Christ. You're set apart. You have the righteousness of Christ. Don't miss this. You're also loved. If you're going to then take off stuff, the Bible's calling you to then put on things. You say, okay, I heard this before, man. Well, then how come we're so mean in the Christian church to each other? He says this, when you're taking off those sets of clothes, I want you to put on these graces or these mercies. And that first one is kindness. Kindness. You're looking out for your neighbor's good. Do you remember when Jesus said, my yoke is easy? Raise your hand if you remember that. That word easy is the same word kindness. <laughs> it's, it's this thought that you're not harsh with people, but you're kind, even when you know you're right. I know that's itching to get out. Uh, Galatians tells us that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, so as we yield to the Spirit, kindness is developed in our life. It's a quality of God himself because Romans 2 tells us that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. We're to put on the kindness. Oh, I missed one. <laughs> tender mercies, but we're, we're to put on kindness. Now, I'm glad we did this. The word for kindness, it's a word that's used with wine. You know when wine's first made, it's real harsh? What do they do? They stick it in a cellar. Why do they stick it there? What does it do? It mellows out, right? <laughs> that's the word they use right there. <laughs> Your harshness goes away. Put on kindness, Christians. Put on God's kindness. Put on his tender mercies. That's the one I forgot. If something... When you get to be 54, man, there's a lot of things on your body <laughs> that start to get tender. <laughs> you ever had a sore Achilles? Oh, man, somebody can just boom, touch it, and you're like, whoa, wait a second, right? The, some guys in my family try to do it in the pool and snap the back of your, but they'll remain nameless. But anyway, and he says, when people are suffering, hurting, I want you to be tender towards it. You hurt when they hurt. And you're merciful. You withhold things. You don't start slamming them for the things that they should have done. Mercy is withholding from people what they deserve. No, you're tender towards their hurt, and you deal with the hurt. Later, there can come some truth, but you do it in kindness, not harshness. By the way, the other thing you put on is humility, that thing where you don't even think of yourself at all. You say, well, okay, I know this, but do you know how important it is to be humble? God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Oh, my goodness. You want the grace of God? You'll be a humble person. And the only place that you get humble is at the cross of Jesus Christ. You ever feel yourself getting overconfident and cocky? Well, I do almost minute by minute. 
And then when you think of what the Lord did and how much he forgave you, of what he forgave you, it brings you to humility. Meekness, not weakness. Meekness is um, uh, power under control. It's a tender, loving, gentle person with a steely strength underneath. You know those types of people. That's meekness. Jesus, the ultimate in meekness. By the way, Moses was said to be uh, the meekest of all. Long-suffering, it's dealing with people and bearing with people. <laughs> How about this one? You're not going to want to surrender your will to this. Dealing with people, even when they're irritating and wrong, even when they insult or injure you, you still suffer long with them. That's supernatural long-suffering, which is by, by, by the way, a fruit of the spirit. Then you bear with one another. That's what you put on. And you forgive one another. Don't, come on, man. Somebody eats your donut. Don't worry. Somebody sits in your pew. Don't worry. Come on, man. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against other, even as Christ forgave you, so you should do. No, it doesn't say that. Must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Real love. Here's what the, the, uh, that he's saying here. All of these Christian graces you put on as a piece of clothing, and then you take a belt of love that keeps it all together, and you put that on. Real love. Love that never gives up. Love that doesn't parade itself. Love that's not puffed up. Love that is unconditional. God loves you, period, not because you're anything great. He loves you. Graceful love. Put on all of those. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace of God. Everybody wants the peace of God, right? Okay. In order to have the peace of God, you must put off and put on. First of all, the Bible says when you surrender your life to Christ, you're justified, Romans 5.1, and you now have peace with God. But all of you are seeking after more than that, you want that supernatural peace that Philippians talks about. Well, if you do, then walk in the will of God. You're going to be more peaceful if you put these things away and put on these things as God supplies you peace. By the way, the peace of God or, that rules in your heart, the word rule, you sports fans are going to love this. It means umpire. Let the peace of God be a ruling factor in your life. You have peace over that situation. Or when that situation comes down the pike, look what you do. You go, up, oh, that's out of here. That's safe. That's out. That's the umpire of your life. The peace of God. And let the peace of God, okay, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In order for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, you better big, uh, read big chunks of it. We're to be readers of the word and, to, uh, and people who ingest the word. We're talking here about a full, filled-up Christian. Folks, hold on. You say, well, wait a minute. That's for, like, spiritual saints like Paul. No, he's talking about every Christian. This is what their life will be like in Christ. You'll be filled up. The word of Christ dwell in you richly so you could admonish one another. You, you, you run from that word. We run from that word, but that's okay. We can challenge one another in the word. They can challenge us, and we can 
Do it in psalms and hymns and spiritual song. Do you know this, that the Bible says when you become a Christian, a new song comes into your heart? Before, I loved the Rolling Stones. That was it for me. Now he's put a new song in my heart. It's one of mercy and grace and the cross and heaven and forgiveness and justification and sanctification and the holiness that God is and how beautiful that is. And that's the same thing he wants to do with you. You see how this fights Gnosticism? This is the normal experience that every Christian can have. But Gnostics said, no, only a few could do it. No, this is for you. And whatever you do in word and deed, this is the kicker. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything you do, work, play, hobbies, um, watch a movie, listen to music, read a book, read a novel, whatever you do, just do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. You say, what, what do you mean? If I pray and just say, in Jesus' name, I can do it? No, 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 no. He's saying, embark upon that activity or thought or thing that the nature and character of Jesus is okay with it or pleased with it. Oh, my goodness. Does that give a different slant to the things that we do? You say, well, man, you've been talking legalism here. No, 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 no. No. Romans tells us this. Our only reasonable service, Romans 12, to anything and everything that Christ has done for us is to give our whole lives back to him. And one of the things God's calling us is, or two, is a pure heart. In fact, one of the most famous Psalms, right? Psalm 51, we read it this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David knew it. We're to know it. We pursue as a new person, hard after the things of the Lord. Here's the thing. The way in which we do it, I'm convinced, is found in 1 John 4. I got you to this. You're like, woo, good. I want to go. Yes, certainly. We can raise our hands. We can sing the songs about how much we love God. And yes, we should be doing that. But there's only one reason we love God, and that's because he first loved us. God always makes the initiative, and we respond out of a love and respect for him because here's why. He knows how wonderful and perfect and healthy it is. The best place and the safest place to be is to follow Jesus. And if we follow and make anything else above him, we're in danger territory. The engine light's going to come on, and the car's going to crash, and we're going to have to take it to our mechanic. So here we go. I don't know if the worship team is going to lead us in one song as we move out of here. The question becomes, do you know Jesus? Can you say that you have everlasting life? If you can't say that, then you could do that today. You just surrender your life to Christ. Nobody's coming up. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> okay, we're not doing it, I guess. Uh, you'd surrender your life to Christ. You'd say, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I repent of my sins and ask the Lord to come in in my life and pay for the penalty that I uh, was coming to me and live his life in and through me. The old life is away. I have new life. If you don't know eternal life, 
we're going to pray right here. Bow your head and pray that prayer. If you're one who hasn't been putting off and putting on these new graces, the old iniquity, are you vigilant about putting off the old man? You, you know what? I'll just tell you the last story. I used to do a Bible study in a halfway house for folks who were recovering for addicts. I'll never forget this one guy. I love him. I was just talking to him the other day. He's doing great now, by the way. But this was about eight or nine years ago. And he said to me, uh, talking about whether or not we reckon the old man dead, we count the old man dead, we put the old man dead. You know what he said? He said, my old man, I put in a coffin, and I closed the lid really lightly. And then the nails that I'm supposed to nail in there, he goes, I just tap them in there a little bit because I want that to come back out sometimes. See, that's not what God's calling to. And by the way, he's doing great, and praise the Lord for him. But we tend to do that, don't we? We fool ourselves. Yeah, we'll, we'll put to death these sorts of sins, but that one, I like that one. I'll just tap it lightly. The Lord says, put those, be serious with those things, and then fill yourself up with the light and life of the new clothes that I'll give you. We only get them as we respond to his love and we yield to the Holy Spirit to live his life, not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Well, Lord, hopefully, Lord, <laughs> the gospel was preached here today. Lord, it was. Your words here never come back void. And the only reason we would even think about this is because the unimaginable sacrifice that you gave, your son Jesus, that we would come now and be ones who would be inclined to righteousness and purity of heart. Lord, we want to purify ourselves, so to speak. You actually do the purifying as we cooperate, but we do it through obedience. We need your help to obey, to be people who would put these things off and put on the new man, the new graces, the real life, the gospel resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Help us in all these areas, Lord, as we move out this week, as we encounter situations that are hard, people that are difficult, obstacles that we think we need to overcome, and yet, Lord, you are kind and good and powerful and forgiving, and you give us that life and more. Thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.